0: moon hangs high over the Louisiana swampland. The bright lights of the stars flicker over the murky licks of the waves near the towering, ominous cypress tree. Frogs croak their songs in the distance, and mosquitoes buzz as they fly around looking for their next meal. There's a howl in the near distance. It sounds like a wolf, but something's a little off. Standing on two legs on top of a fallen, moss-covered tree is a large, snarling beast. It throws its head back, letting out a blood-curdling howl to the moon. There's no werewolf, though. It's what those in Louisiana call the Rougarou. I'm Abby, and you've been warned. Don't look in the trees. Hello my Fine Force friends, it's Abby. Today by request from listeners Kiara and Venti, we'll be learning more about the Rougarou, Louisiana's legendary werewolf-like monster. Is it a French legend brought overseas during the time of the Conquest, or is it something more sinister? Keep listening and find out. Back in the day of armor, swords, and jousting, there was a lot more to fear than the plague and witches. Beasts called the Lougarou, which meant werewolves in French, were also infamous through the country. Back in the 16th century, they'd regularly blame various crimes on the loop gurus. Apparently, that was the thing they did back then. Did your house get ransacked during the night? Loop guru. Did a child disappear from the village without trace? Definitely a luguru. guru. Personally, I never hear about something terrible and say, yeah, that's definitely the work of a werewolf. Cut. Case closed. This was one more interesting problem that they had to deal with centuries ago. Makes the morning commute seem not so bad, right? The villagers would capture people they believed to be a loop guru, and then hold a public trial. Usually they'd find something in the woods or someone in the village that who was just acting strange. The court would ask the public if they believed the accused to be a loop guru. Usually the public agreed, mainly for fear that they'd be outed as a witch or a Luguru themselves. These Lugurus became the fear of many people in the country, earning their place in the legends passed down onto children. The French Catholics claimed that you would be turned into a loop guru if you do not follow the rules of Lent for seven consecutive years. There was also a story that was told to kids that if they didn't do what their parents asked, a loop guru would come and steal them away in the middle of the night. When many of the French migrated to Canada and the southern United States, they took the legend and the loop guru with them. Since the migration, many of the legends began to change to match the times and the dialect. Since Cajun dialect is a mix of French and English, and well-known for changing words completely to roll off the tongue easier, the name of the beast changed from loup guru to rou In the swamps within the greater New Orleans area in Acadiana is where the beast has come to live. He might even be neighbors with the Honey Island Swamp Monster, which is known as Louisiana's Bigfoot of the Swamp. Cajun legend says that the beast hunts down Catholics who don't follow the rules of Lent, which is similar to the telling of the old French stories. Another telling of the story says that a Rougarou is under a 101 day curse, unless the affected person can transfer the curse to another human. Their curse usually comes from a local witch, or sometimes, a voodoo practitioner. It is said that you can protect yourself against the Ruguru by laying 13 small objects around your door. Apparently, when a person changes into a Rougarou, they forget how to count past 12. Probably since they only worry about midnight and the moon is at this point, or you could reference the 12 disciples. The ruguru will still see the 13 objects, try to count them, but be unable to count them all. This will perplex it and it will keep recounting until the sun comes up and it must flee. Now you know what the ruguru is, and how to keep it at bay, just 13 silly objects. Well, let's get into a story. Story I found from Reddit user creeping underscore dread. My grandmother's farm was located on 15 acres land north of Hayden, Alabama. It was several hours from our home, and we would make the drive there a handful times of year, mostly in the summer. I can remember the anticipation I would feel as we drove up the long driveway to find a modest house, which my grandfather Elmer had built with his bare hands. Perched atop the hill, picture it now, I can see the rusted tin roof, the weathered porch and the dilapidated barn that stood out back. As a child, none of that mattered to us, obviously. We spent our days roaming the rolling countryside, swimming in a nearby creek, and playing in the old oak that grew alongside the house, whose branches were so large they scraped the ground. The fields surrounding the farmhouse were no longer fertile, providing ample space for us to properly conduct the adventures we concocted in our minds. And we were surrounded by dense forests of the Alabama countryside. I always cherished the time I spent with my grandmother. When we were inside, she was always singing to us, telling us stories about when she was a girl, teaching us how to make things out of sticks and string, passed down the type of random wisdom that only a grandmother can. Unfortunately, I never knew my grandfather. My grandmother said he died in a hunting accident when I was very young. I heard so much about him from her and my parents. However, I felt like I knew him. He was a large man, strong as an ox, my grandmother would say, who would farm the fields from sunup to sundown without so much as a whisper of a complaint. My grandmother and her family were of Cajun descent and had met my grandmother at school in Louisiana, and the two had moved out onto this land, left to them by Elmer's uncle, to start their life together. My mother had been born in this very farmhouse, I respected my grandmother more than any other person on the earth, but she was not without her quirks, the strangest of which was her insistence that we follow three specific rules as long as we were with her. I could remember her pulling my sister and I close, kissing us on the forehead, and gently reminding us about them each time we arrived, with her frail, wrinkled hands cradling ours. Don't leave food outside, no singing past dark, and most importantly... Never go into the woods. She never explained why they were important, only that they were important. The rules were something we rarely questioned. Grandma said to follow them, so we did. It was simple as that. The first two were pretty easy. I wasn't much of a singer, and we didn't have food outside unless my grandmother had given it to us. But the third was a bit more challenging. Her property was surrounded by woods on all sides, with a buffer of several hundred yards. Between the house and the tree line, and my sister and I were often tempted to go exploring within. We'd ask for permission, stating our ages as proof that we are responsible and could take care of ourselves. Without fail, she would always reply, The rules are for your safety, Sha. You mustn't break them. Sha is a Cajun word that means dear. For the sake of clarity, I'm translating it for the rest of her Cajun speak into regular English for this account. I can remember one evening, when my sister was only 3 or 4 years old, she accidentally left some food outside. We had been eating a bologna sandwich on the back steps. I remember we both like our smashed down and cut into little squares. the best! Sorry. (laughs) Having finished mine, I had gone inside to get something to drink, and she had followed me, leaving her plate behind. Later that night, we were all in front of the fireplace, curled up in Grandma's lap under one of her large quilts, telling stories and laughing when we heard something scratching at the back door. Immediately, I felt her body tense underneath me. She shot a glance over to my father, who was sitting on the floor. He tried to keep his face blank, but I could see worrying creeping through. "'What is that, Grandma?' I asked. "'Probably just a raccoon,' my father said, starting to sand. "Shh, let me,' Grandma said." My father picked us up from her lap, gently placing us on the floor as she made her way to the back of the house. A few minutes later, she walked back into the den and sat back down. She was holding my sister's empty plate from earlier. When my sister saw the plate, she looked at my grandmother's face, and she burst into tears. It's okay, she said, hugging my sister tightly. Let's do our best to not do this again, okay? Later that night, when everyone was in bed, I crept out from beneath the covers and tiptoed to the back door. It was open. I didn't think the house had had air conditioning, but the doors were left open and the screen door was closed to keep the bugs out. I was old enough to be curious about what had happened earlier, and young enough not to be scared to what I might find. There was a single bulb above the back door that cast a narrow beam of light that illuminated the back steps. On the top two steps, bathed in an eerie light of the dim bulb, were dozens of long, black hairs. After the food incident, I became a bit more aware about the things that were happening around the farmhouse, and started to have the notion that my grandmother was hiding something. I wasn't sure what it was, but whatever was at the back door was a part of it. The next year, my sister and I found a dead deer about 50 yards from the tree line. I think it was a deer at least. Its head was completely missing from its body, and its body was completely mutilated. Even at my young age, I knew no other animal had done that. When I told my grandmother about it, rather than being shocked, she acted as if that was just commonplace, saying to stay away from it and my father would take it somewhere. The next year, there was one night where we were all awoken by something banging around in the barn. In the morning, we went out to investigate, and it was clear that someone had vandalized it. One of the barn doors was completely ripped off, and everything inside was torn apart, like someone was looking for something grandma said it must have been thieves looking for iron to scrap but what thief would go looking for iron in a barn in the middle of nowhere later that same trip i was playing on the old oak i noticed that my sister had strayed rather close to the tree line the next thing i knew i saw my father sprinting across the fields towards her when he reached her he grabbed her threw her over his shoulder and sprinted back towards the farmhouse he had scared the shit out of her So I guess that's why she was crying hysterically, but my father never would say why he had to get her away from there so quickly. There were other incidents like that over the years, but what they meant, in some, I had never figured out. The last time I visited my grandmother's farm was the summer I turned 16. That was the summer my grandmother finally told me about the secret she had been keeping for so long. At 16, as most kids are, I was pretty defiant. I still had a great respect for my grandmother, don't get me wrong. "'but I was growing a bit tired of the seemingly arbitrary nature of her rules, "'especially the third one. "'Never go into the woods? What was I, five? "'By that time, I had basically run out of things to do at the farm, "'and I wanted desperately to explore the woods "'I had been barred from entering for so long. "'So one day, I did. "'It was an exceptionally hot July day, "'and I decided to follow the little creek "'that wound its way through the corner of her property and into the woods. "'The foliage was dense and unforgiving.' blocking out so much of the sun and providing a much-needed respite from the heat. I kicked my shoes off and began walking along the creek's sandy bank, losing myself in the hum of the water as it rushed around various sticks and stones and the chatter of the birds and insects around me. When I had gone far enough, I couldn't see the tree line. I noticed that aside from the sound of the water, I couldn't hear the sounds of the birds or insects any longer. The forest had become deadly silent. The air was unnaturally still, creating an odd sense of uneasiness within me. Never forgetting my grandmother's warnings and believing I had somehow worn out my welcome, I hastily turned back to head to the farmhouse. I stopped when I heard the crack of a branch far off in the distance behind me. Afraid to look back, I started walking again. A few steps later, I heard it again. "'It was the sound of someone or something "'moving through the dense underbrush in my direction. "'I turned slowly, and I saw something "'that scared the living shit out of me. "'In the distance, I saw the silhouette of some lumbering beast "'walking towards me through the forest. "'It was tall, over six feet.' "'and it looked mostly like a man, "'except there appeared to be ears "'sprouting from the top of its dark head. "'I could see its eyes, large and yellow, "'shining at me even though the rest of its head "'was shrouded in darkness. "'I stumbled backwards, falling into the sandy water "'and turned and tore through the woods, "'sprinting over rocks and pine cones and briars in a mad dash to escape whatever was coming for me. "'I didn't even bother stopping to grab my shoes. "'When I made it back to the farmhouse, "'I slammed the outer door and locked it shut, "'then ran inside to find my grandmother.' I found her sitting at the kitchen, preparing some beans for dinner. I was a mess. I was covered in sweat, wet, and sandy, and I'm sure my eyes told my terror. When she looked up at me, she could tell immediately that something had happened. Were you in the woods? Was all she asked. I'm sorry, Grandma. I didn't know there was a thing. I, I stumbled over my words. Not sure exactly what to say to her. Instead of being angry, she looked at me with sadness in her eyes and motioned for me to come and sit beside her. My foot was bleeding, and once she had bandaged me up, she began to tell me a story. The Loop Guru is what you saw. It's also called the Rougarou inside of Louisiana, I believe. My mother used to tell me the tales about a monster, part man, part wolf, that would roam the swamps around her home and snatch children who had strayed too far from their parents. A children's fable, surely. Which I never really believed to be true, yet the story still scared me. It wasn't until we moved here, to the farm, that I realized it wasn't just a story. Your grandfather, on one of his hunting trips, found the carcass of an animal that had been ripped to shreds beyond recognition. He hunted the animal he believed to have caused it, thinking it was just a bear. He had finally tracked it to its den deep in the forest. It was no bear, child. Your grandfather described it as a man with long, dark hair covering its body, yet the head of a wolf, just like the stories. The two fought and your grandfather prevailing, but not before being gravely injured. Several hours after he came back that night, a sickness overtook him. He wailed and moaned in his sleep that night, and in the morning his eyes had sunken deep in his head and his hair on his body had started to grow long and deep and black. A few hours later, he was gone. I guess he had realized what was happening and didn't want to endanger me. The thing you saw today in the forest child... That, that was your grandfather. My heart was broken, having lost the only man I had ever loved. I didn't know how to cope with it. I would sit on the back steps and sing old songs my mother used to sing to me. And I would see it, him, creep out of the forest to listen, only coming close enough to show me that he was there. I would leave food out on the back steps at night, and he would come and eat, always licking the plate clean. I don't think the transformation was fully complete then. Your grandfather was still in there, inside, somehow. I hoped he could somehow come back from whatever he had become. Then I started to hear howling and find dead animals, and that's when I knew your grandfather was gone. The rules now as you can see, are meant to protect you, child. He is drawn to the food and to the singing, still remembering how I comforted him during those early days. And anything that goes into the woods doesn't come out alive. I am thankful you're here. This must be your last trip here, child. Now that he has seen you up close, he will have a taste for your blood. And he won't stop until he drains every last bit from your body. Your grandfather has several guns here, but I dare not use them, and I caution you to heed this warning. I see the look in your eyes. If you do succeed in killing him, I fear you would face the same fate as your grandfather. If the old tales are true, he who kills the Ruguru eventually comes one.
1: Hey guys, it's Nick. I'm Abby's husband, and I usually write the episodes and edit them. And I noticed something in this episode that you guys didn't hear during the story and you're going to want to take a listen to it. It's the climax of the story kind of close to the end um, and listen to what happens to Abby here.
0: Now that he has seen you up close he will have a taste for your blood and he won't stop until he drains every last bit from your body. Your grandfather has several guns here, but I dare not use them. I caution you to heed...
1: So after that spot, Abby just gets right back into the episode and continues on, and that's the rest of what you guys heard. I cut it from the story because um, I really just wanted you all to get kind of uh, enveloped in that story and really experience it. But the crazy thing about that reaction is that was Abby's organic reaction. I asked her about it, and what she said she heard was something behind her fell down. Now, Up here in our attic where I'm sitting recording what you're hearing right now, there really isn't anything behind where we record that could have fallen down. This space is largely unused, um, so there's nothing up here that could have even fell, but it did. And it fell so hard that if you listen closely to that recording, you can hear kind of a drone sound, and that drone is actually... The sound of vibration in our microphone stand so something moved hard enough and loud enough that it actually vibrated the microphone stand and not only that if you listen closer after the drone sound you can hear the dogs downstairs running around they had been sleeping up until that sound happened now again none of this stuff was planned into the episode this all happened organically but I just think it's kind of crazy that while Abby's talking about this Ruguru, something like that happens. And you get that sound, the reaction out of Abby, the drone of the mic stand, and the dogs being alerted downstairs. How crazy is that? Anyway, here she is again. She's going to wrap up this episode for you. Thanks for listening.
0: Y'all. Wow. I... Wow. So keep 13 objects outside of your house. That seems to be the easiest. And don't go into the woods or sing, I suppose. That's gonna be doing it for this week. What do you think of the Rougarille? Have you seen it? Have you heard it? You know I love a good story. Pod at gmail.com, my fine forest friends. I think that gave us a fine, fine reason to not look in the trees. Remember, you can find me on TikTok at Abby underscore Sabota. Give me a follow. We've been talking about the hat man a lot lately. Follow us on Instagram at Don't look in the Trees. Thanks for listening. I'm Abby, and you've been warned. Please, for the love of God, don't look in the trees, and don't sing in the trees, and don't leave bologna sandwiches on your porch, and God, I hope your father or grandfather doesn't try to kill a Rougarou. And don't try to kill a Rougarou evil, either. No Ruguru interactions for any of you. Bye. Love you.